Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello to you. I speak to you from the past. Um, In my time, it is Saturday night. I am getting ready to do a DJ gig, actually. But don't get too excited. It's just in our kitchen, (laughs) of course. Um, Yeah, we're doing a a DJ gig live on TikTok. And then yesterday night we did a disco, which was fun. We're going to stop doing them soon. I'll miss them. Um, We're going to do our last one on April the 9th, if you fancy it. Um, And I'm taking requests. So if you've got any song you'd like me to sing, let me know. Oh, hold on a second. Yes, Ray? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll wash that. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, I had a funny thing, though. I did actually leave the house once this week. I went to sing... Hold on, Ray. I'll do it in a minute. I went to sing Groove Jet on the one show, and it's quite funny because I left the house, so, you know, singing outside of the kitchen, and guess what they'd made the set look like? That's right, a kitchen. (laughs) And it wasn't even as nice as my kitchen. It was sort of photo, what do you call it, computer-generated kitchen with, like, some bread out on the side. I mean, come on. I would never leave bread out on the side when I'm doing a disco. Anyway, my guest this week. Ah, well, she actually did a very helpful thing since we've spoken because I have to confess, I think if I was speaking to you a week ago, I would have probably said, hold on, Ray Ray. (laughs) I'm nearly done, Sweepy. Um, I probably would have said I was speaking to... Giovanna Fletcher, but she very helpfully um, put a little post up saying that it's Giovanna to rhyme with Savannah. So yes, Giovanna Fletcher. 
So I, I had a lovely conversation with Giovanna. We've met a few times over the years. She's always been completely gorgeous. And um, yeah, I wanted to speak to her because um, she obviously was came across so brilliantly and I'm a celebrity and has been doing such brilliant things with her podcast, Happy Mum, Happy Baby. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd turn the tables and ask her some questions and it was very, very nice. And, yeah, so I'm going to be sitting down having a listen in while I'm I'm actually dressed in a ridiculously uh, OTT party outfit for someone who's only staying in their kitchen for the evening. Um, and I don't know what Ray wanted. I'll have to go and see what he wanted. I don't actually know. He gave me some things to be washed while I was speaking to you. But I don't think that's why he was persistent in speaking to me. Anyway, um, I would normally say I'm going to go and make a cup of tea, but I'm actually thinking I might go and find Richard and see if he can make me a margarita. What do you think? Is that a good idea? If you're listening to this on a Monday morning, you'd probably say no. If you're listening to this on a Friday night, you'd probably say yes. All right, darlings, see you on the other side. Thank you for coming and thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much for speaking to me this evening. No, at all. Thank you. Um, I uh, I was really looking forward to it because I wonder if you have this with your podcast, um, where it's basically like the best chats I've had in the last year. I've probably been recording my podcast. Um, Completely. Yeah, so a bit of it, space and time. Yeah, and I think when when we started making them remote and doing it like this, I was really worried about what they would be like because mm. I think there's something about being face-to-face with people and... and reassuring them that everything's fine you're in a set you know it's I think there's something very different about being together but actually it's been incredible it's been so nice having these conversations and having something um that can take you out of the little bubble that you're in yeah and remind you that everyone is going through a similar situation or the the same experience in terms of covid but different versions of it different variations um so I've uh, yeah I have found the podcast chats really quite therapeutic and lovely to just get away from it all really and uh to have that bit of a breather yeah and I suppose as well we've sort of been cast into this very strange space where your day job and who you are outside of parenting and the parenting is just all the lines are blurred so I think for everybody you've sort of had this everything sort of thrown into real well it sort of throws it into relief how sort of murky it is in a way because you're suddenly thinking I don't really know there's been so many times where I felt like where I end and the other part of me takes over for whether going to work or yeah. doing motherly stuff. It's just, there's no definition. And I found that I've I definitely struggled with that in the last year. Definitely. And I think there's this big thing about how much you're used to doing, mm. like, especially creatively, how productive you're meant to, you're used to be, used to be. And, uh, and I think there was a thing early on in lockdown that I've just realised I'm not going to be that productive. I'm not going to be doing as much as I was and I have to kind of lower my expectations of myself, mm. which was fine for the first lockdown, I yes. would say. But as it's gone on, you then have that frustration of not being able to do it anymore and kind of when, well, when can I do the work that I'm meant to be doing and, you know, commit to the stuff that I've already signed up to do and in terms yeah. of books and things like that. So um, it has been really challenging working out how to juggle those things um, and, uh, yeah, feel like you're doing anything 
in the way that you normally would, whether that's parenting or work. I know. You know what I mean, are you giving anything 100%? I know. I keep on feeling like, you know when there's um, those cartoons where it's like a little kid running at a big kid and the big kid's just holding their forehead. So they're sort of running <laughs> with all their might and the little one's just not getting anywhere because that big hand's on your forehead. I felt like that a few times. That's um, so true. But I, I want to talk to you about, well, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I'll start with what was happening in your life when you had your first baby? What were you up to? So I was writing books by that point. So I'd written, um, I think I'd written two. I'd written uh, Billy and Me and You're the One That I Want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I can remember having to go back. So I had to sort out what I was doing with Buzz when he was six months old because I had a deadline and I had to get back to writing. So that's why I know that. Um, but yeah, I was I was writing and my, and my day was very relaxed, I would say. So I would get up in the morning, uh, probably around 10-ish, uh, come downstairs, have breakfast, have a shower, get into a fresh pair of pyjamas, uh, <laughs> look over the, you know, go on social media or see what was happening in the news, read over what I'd done the day before, have breakfast, like have lunch, then maybe have a, have a little nap because, you know, I'll be tired by then. Uh, and then probably get to work about three o'clock in the afternoon and then work solidly. So I feel like my routine back then uh, was very different to what it is now. Now I feel like every second that I'm not with the kids has to has to count. It has yeah. to be... I have to be doing, I have to make sure that it's not, especially if it's not, if they're not at school, if they're being looked after by someone else, I have to make sure that it is for a purpose, uh, which is why I'm awful at things like getting my hair done or anything like that. It's just, you know, how do you, I don't know how you fit all that stuff in at all. I've just, it's, um, yeah, so I don't. So every time I go to the hairdresser, I'm like, yeah, I've not been for a year. Uh, sorry. Wow, this <laughs> um, is resonating but, with me hugely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Like knowing how you fit, everything in and yeah. what the priorities are and um and that you know what that's just something that we've put on ourselves because no one has told us that that is the way that we have to live our lives yeah that is just how we feel um so yeah so it, yeah my days pre-kids were very very different um quite chilled I would say because mm. writing is a very um well, I guess you do get a bit frustrated at times especially if you're on deadline and you keep pushing forward but um yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, I'd say it was quite chilled, carefree, um, and um, but also focused, I would say. Yeah, yeah and I totally, focused. I've used exactly that same phrase about making every minute count when you're away for your kids once you're working and you have them because, yeah, you feel this onus of like, well, it's got to mean something. What's the point of being mm. apart from them if you're just going to sort of you know, not be productive. So you do kind of get that. I think it actually really helped my my focus, actually, with my yeah, work. I um, do. Yeah. And it, so you were on a deadline with a, with a book when you were, when you had Buzz, when you just had Yeah. Him. Yeah. So I, the, I think, if I think about time, I think I would have had a book out a few months after he was born, um, which would have been the second book. And then I would have had to, yeah, I would have to start writing so that it could be in with my publisher by the following, oh. Oh, maybe I just, yeah, I think maybe, maybe I just handed one in. I just mm. handed one in, that's right. Because then the, that book was out a little bit after Buzz was born. Um, and then I had to start writing for the, uh, for the next one. Um, so yeah, it did feel like there was a countdown mm. in terms of me when I had to get back to my desk. Uh, and we sorted it out with... Um, 
Tom's mum actually um that she was gonna um come and look after him a few days a week and at first I did that typical thing where and also yeah, I found it really hard because so we'd sorted out at five months and for me that's when Buzz his personality really started to shine through yeah. you know as you start to see more of who they are the interaction is just amazing the connection is so much richer and all of a sudden something's come along or not all of a sudden because you know it's there but yeah. it's sudden it just feels sudden and you're not going to be able to be there with them all the time um but we were lucky that Tom's mum uh, we were able to sort of well employ her really and um and she could look after Buzz um which was brilliant knowing that he was going to be with a grandma mm. and someone that he really loved and, and they still have a, an amazing bond now but it's that thing of once you have this idea of what you know the plan in motion what it's going to be like and then when it, once it's actually there and it's happening it really hurts yeah. it hurts knowing that that is that is that is the plan and you're not going to have your baby a few days a week and I try to do that typical thing of having buzz here every day so if debbie was looking after him um you know i'd take him off for a feed and i'd put yeah. him down for a nap and i was still trying to do all of those things um so in the end he started going to her house which still meant i had to go off and express and stuff but it meant that when he wasn't here yeah. i could probably focus a lot better and get a lot yeah. more work done because you're always otherwise your ear is always in the other room is he crying is she okay is she getting a little bit stressed with it you know it's it's Definitely. just and then for her as well, I think if they were in her house, she could do things her way yeah. and not feel like I would be there or listening in from the other room, judging or worrying. Um, so yeah, so that is what we started doing. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it was it helped because we could get the job done. Yeah, and it's actually it's interesting what you're saying there about that thing where you know their personality just starts to come out because we're so encouraged to think about taking that time off when they're tiny and then getting your work set up actually in the bit where their needs really grow. Yeah. And I remember working with a really good girlfriend of mine. She's a makeup artist and um, she had kids that were probably already in double figures when we started working together and she used to really struggle leaving them. And then when, you know, if we went away for work and I, when I had Sunny, I remember her saying to me, it gets, it gets harder as they get older to leave them. And she was so right, you know, mm. a, a child who's older saying, like, crying, you know, my two-year-old's really perfected the double, you know, the big sort of uh, <laughs> bottom lip quiver and uh, tears because that, leaving them at that point, you know, when they're small, you can sort of, yeah. you know, they, a lot of their needs are quite easily met in terms of, yep. you know, right temperature, food in their tummy, all those kind of things, sleep. But when they get older, they're a lot more aware of where you are and also the things you can do with them grow, all the different yeah. scope. So missing out on stuff can be can be tricky. Well, um, Catelyn Morano, uh, she said on the podcast um, about the teenage years and how when it comes to teenagers, they might, come, they might work up the courage to come to you once about a problem. Mm. And if you are not there for that one time, then that's, that's it. That opportunity has gone. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it is, it is interesting to think about how, how their demands or needs of us will change as yeah. time goes on. Yeah, I think that's true about the teenage thing, actually. And I remember when you were talking, it reminded me when I was watching you on I'm a Celebrity, which we were hooked on in our house. It was brilliant. And there was one bit where you were missing the kids. And I can't remember who it was, but they said to you something like, yes, they will have changed so much in the time you've been <laughs> 
like, wow. So just a, oh, thank you, that's very comforting. <laughs> I barely know you. You'll come back and they'll be like, who's that lady? <laughs> it was weird though, because uh, for two of them, I hadn't seen them for five weeks. Mm. Uh, for, for, so for the two-year-old, I'd seen him, it was about three and a half weeks with him, but for Buzz and Buddy, it was five weeks and it felt so huge, like such a huge amount of time. And, and I can remember coming through the door and, and it is that weird thing of, it, it was a bit like they changed, like their face, you just kind of want to touch them. And, and it's that thing, I don't know if you've ever had it, but when you give birth and you take your baby home to your other children, mm. they all of a sudden seem huge. Yeah, it's that definitely. weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. Time and your memory and everything, it's all kind of warped somehow. Um, but yeah, I can remember. So I came home and the Christmas tree was already up and the two-year-old just kind of point at the tree and go, look, tree! And I was like, oh, you're talking and everything. Um, but yeah, I, but that then fades, you know. And it that's, does. You know, it, it, what's the longest that you've ever been away from your boys? Um, I've done, I think the longest is actually about 10, 10 days. Yeah. Um, but I remember when, I can't remember when, who it was, one of them was very little and I was about to go away for work. And it wasn't my first baby. It might have been the third or the fourth one. And I was sort of seeking solace on the internet. <laughs> so I sort of Googled, you know, leaving my baby. I think I was actually breastfeeding him at the time. So I was like, you know, looking. And it was just basically all these um, forums of women saying, well, you can go away and express milk like this. And uh, you can. I mean, personally, I couldn't bear to leave my baby, but of course you could, there's definitely ways you could do it. It's just like that very sort of like, yeah, really like, thanks a lot for that. Like there's real solidarity. I think, I think in times of need, probably stay away from those forums. They don't the thing is give that you what I, you need. The, the boys were so excited to have me back. And mm. the first thing they wanted me to do was sit with them and watch I'm a Celeb. They wanted <laughs> to tell me about all the things that I'd done. Yeah. And actually, I think, I think, isn't it great that my kids have been able to see me in another role mm. not just as mummy as someone who goes off the edge of a cliff who isn't scared of snakes and spiders you know so I do feel like actually it was so great for them to see me doing that hell yeah it's you know? brilliant and not just that for you five weeks away like look at the experience you got from it and how significant that is in your memories but for them mm. five weeks pfft, you know, yeah, and they could see you as well. They weren't, you weren't yeah. actually gone, gone. You know, just you could, they could still check in with what you're up to and be super engaged. It's not like um, I know when one time when Richard went away a lot when Sonny must have been about two month, two years old rather, and I had to keep Richard so present while he was gone. He was away for about six weeks, and I had to keep going. Oh, Daddy does this, and Daddy that just to keep him part yeah. of Sonny's everyday world, but. But Tommy could just say, "Look, there she is. That's <laughs> what she's doing today." <laughs> They'd literally watch me at breakfast every day. Just to see what I've been up to <laughs> the night before. Which is brilliant. And I think that is inspiring to them to see you not being scared and jumping in with both feet and doing something for yourself like that. Um, I mean, who doesn't want their mum to look like she's fearless? That's just, that's really inspiring, isn't it? And mm. um, I wonder what I was thinking. Is it right that you have been together with Tom since you were 13? We met when we were 13, yeah. We met at Sylvia's when we were 13, uh, so Sylvia Young Theatre School. Mm. Uh, and we dated for three days, and then he dumped me for his ex-girlfriend. Oh. Yeah. Shocker. Oh, sorry, to, sorry to remind you of that time. No, no don't worry. <laughs> and then we spent two years going, I like you, I don't like you, I like you, I don't like you. And then in year 11, we, got, uh, we started going out again. Uh, we went out for a year, and at the end of the year, we broke up. Uh, and then we went our separate ways for about two years. 
and I dated someone else, he dated a few people, um, and I started Rose Bruford, and he started the band around the same time, um, and I was dating someone who was in the Metropolitan Police at the time, and he was just not bothered about what I was doing, couldn't care less, whereas Tom was just always engaged, really excited about what I was doing, and actually, before I started college, I went away to Namibia for a month to do this gap year thing, and... um, and it was amazing. And I had no phone. I had no way of contacting anyone. And Tom's 18th birthday was around that time. And I spent the whole month thinking about Tom, not the boyfriend that I had. And then when I came home, the boyfriend wasn't bothered about me starting Rose Bruford or me and Rose Bruford own... is a theatre school, is that right? Yeah. And he just wasn't bothered about any of that. Didn't change his life in any way. Um, and just carried on being him. Whereas Tom found it all fascinating, was writing me letters to my flat and um, just being adorable. Um, And yeah, I don't even know, because it's not even like me and my ex had any big arguments. I just literally on the drive over to him one night, so I'd done the whole week in Sidcup, where the college is, and um, literally on the drive over to him on a Friday night, I just thought, I'm I'm breaking up with him tonight. It was just like like a... it was such a clear thing that I hadn't even thought about until that point. Mm. Um, so I broke up with him and Tom was straight away kind of going, come over, come over to us. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm going to go out with my sister and get really, really drunk. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I went over to his and uh, yeah, and actually I met the band then who they hadn't, um, they'd started recording. Uh, and Dougie, when I first met him, he said, Tom talks about you nonstop. Oh, I was like, oh. So yes, we've been together now since we were 18 and I'm 36. So a long time now. That's pretty cool. It's getting yeah. serious. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, I think things are serious these days. <laughs> I would also say that if you go away on a gap year trip to Namibia and you're not thinking about your boyfriend, you think about your ex, it's probably... <laughs> there's some big clues there but that's before the thing, that drive over. <laughs> but I think sometimes when, you know... With our phones and everything like that, and every, where life is so busy, when you're mm. forced out of your comfort zone and you're somewhere else, thoughts that you wouldn't necessarily have had time and space to let in before suddenly come flooding in. And every mm. year, actually, I do um, a charity check, a charity trek with Copperfield. Mm. So we take 100 people, um, men and women, who have been affected by breast cancer or are just hitting a landmark age-wise and they're just like, I want to do something for me. We raise money and awareness for Copperfield. Um, And it is absolutely incredible. And it's something that I wish everyone would do just because it's that thing of taking you out of your comfort zone, Mm. putting you somewhere completely different, making you focus on something that is not your day-to-day. And your mind and the conversations that you have, it's free to just do and say anything. And... um, so I love it. I love it when you, you're not focusing on anything other than what your feet are doing yeah. because your mouth and your heart just kind of let loose a little bit. Yeah, well, walks are good for that generally, aren't they? You can sort of, yeah. I think as well, they say that, um, actually it's quite good for older kids as well, that when you're walking, because you haven't got that eye-to-eye contact, so it's not at all confrontational. Yeah. And that can be quite a good time to get things out of the older kids as well because you're both yeah. sort of focused on, there's a task at hand and it's quite gentle and uh you know you're out in the open so it's not going to turn nasty and it's just you know quite a nice space really yeah um but um when you had those breaks from tom when you were younger did you always kind of have it in the back of your mind that you were going to get back together i think so so we stayed in touch the whole time Mm. and he'd send me songs that he'd written (laughs) ones that were called things like leap of faith (laughs) or like we're going to get back together one day. <laughs> <laughs> I would meet up and there was always this, there was always this thing. Mm. Um, and 
Yeah, I think... So I we we split up around the same time that my parents split up, and I and I do think that looking back is completely connected. Mm. And um, you know, I think in my head, my the people that I look to as to see what a relationship was, mm. they had had fallen apart. So for us, and 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 to be honest, my mum and dad are amazing now. They're great friends. Mm. We're so lucky. Um, but I do think that kind of made me look at me and Tom a little bit and I think I was going through a bit of a rebellious stage off the back of that um so yeah so we split up but stayed in touch yeah maybe you needed it as well you know I know that's the thing isn't it because so many people that space that we had between 16 and 18 I know we weren't legally allowed to do lots of things but we went to clubs you know we did all those things and got drunk and had no responsibilities and we didn't need to check in with anyone and um so I do think um that it was good for us to have that time apart yeah I wonder as well how it'll help you parent that bit of your kids life that you've known each other since that time of your lives because that's quite a I mean every everybody kind of goes back and reflects on that time in their life when they get you know when you get to that point of having a teenager you can't help it you're not you know the amount of times I go oh I remember when I was 13 or you know this you know just it just all comes flooding back but being able to know each other really like properly <laughs> at that time is actually quite unique isn't it yeah. your mum and dad to be like oh do you remember when we did this? Like, well Tom at 13 was literally snogging every single per- every single girl in our class <laughs> everyone he snogged one girl before school one girl in the morning break one girl at lunchtime one girl in the afternoon break and one girl after school but now that you know that you got back, you got together <laughs> properly very like relatively soon after you can see he was just you know this is his, yeah. his, that was his experience of like other women there we go <laughs> 13 year old snogs so he's got something to reflect on of like hey I'm experienced you know (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> so you must have had about 11 years when it was just the two of you then, by my... Yeah, we had a long time. Mm. And I do think there's that thing as well of when you do get together really, really young, uh, I think it is you forget that you're the ones that have to make that the decision, the leaps to get engaged, get married, have kids. Mm. I don't know. I feel like when you get together older, you're, you already know that that's, what's, that's what you want. You already yeah. know that that's where you are. Um, and, you know, I, I think I was ready to get married and have kids a lot sooner than Tom was. I say I think, I know I was. <laughs> you know, I was acting in the wife role in the house. We moved into this house when we were 21. Tom was 20, I was 21. Um, so I had years of playing the wife, if you like, mm. um, but not being the wife. Uh, and I think that did get to me a lot. And, you know, it's that thing of everyone would say, oh, when when are you going to get married? And, and, uh, and I think I found that quite frustrating, to be honest. But at the same time, I'm glad that it all panned out as it did because, you know, if timings were slightly different, then maybe I wouldn't have started writing. Yeah. You know, I needed that extra little bit of time to get to that. So then the career was already kind of taking off before kids were on the cards, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, so if if it had gone any other way, then I definitely wouldn't be doing what I am now. And was writing always the thing you wanted to do? What were you well, doing went, at Sylvia Young? And Well, acting. I yeah. was doing acting and, um, and love performing and singing. And um, so at Rose Bruford, I did an acting degree. I came out of there, um, did some plays and stuff, loved it. Uh, but then suddenly, following the recession, everything stopped and the jobs weren't filtering through. Mm-hmm. So I started doing book reviews for Heat magazine. Then I started working for a few different magazines, which is how we once met mm. um, Working uh, when I was working on one magazine. Um, and then because I was doing book reviews for Heat magazine and also for my own blog, I got invited to a... Um, a book launch and I met an agent and she just said to me have you ever thought about writing yourself and I thought at the time I was just a bit like look that's something that people that went to Oxford or Cambridge did not someone who went to drama school and pretended to be a penguin in a field that's a bit of a stretch (laughs) you pretend Um, to be a penguin what in a film in a field in a field oh (laughs) wow that's very that's actually quite hard how many actors could do that not many (laughs) you had to be a confused overheating penguin and I used to Tom laughs at me all the time because uh, my penguin would eat frankfurters cold that every every lesson that we had on animal studies how often were you with a penguin uh, a few times a week, yeah. <laughs> Is this that thing where you have to choose your animal and then stick to it? Well, they give us our animals, yeah. Oh, you got given we, an animal. We got given an animal. We had to study them, stick to them, uh, and then um, at the end of the term, we would be put in a zoo for okay. the rest of the students to come around and sort of watch us in our natural animal habitat. <laughs> Do they eat frankfurters in real life? No, but they are my oh. fish substitute. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but I like the fact that you had to ask. <laughs> I was thinking I've never seen that happen, but, but, but you're I... the one who studied penguins. <laughs> you're the expert. <laughs> but they're a bit wobbly, yes. like a fish, yeah. I thought. Plus, I think actually in my student <laughs> haze, 
the thought of just eating frankfurters and having an excuse to do it, right. it was quite nice. Oh, I get it now. Sorry, I didn't understand that the frankfurters were a real thing. I thought the you meant that you were just imagining you were a penguin no. that liked frankfurters. <laughs> no, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could improvise that. <laughs> they were a real thing Got and it. a substitute for fish. No, I can see yeah. it now. I understand yeah, yeah, now. Because yeah. if you hadn't done that, it would have been raw fish. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I see, I see. I don't think I was into sushi then. Um, But yeah, so it was quite a leap going from being a penguin eating frankfurters to writing books. Um, But I was talking to a different author one day, um, really randomly, who was just saying to me about other people that she'd met, who whenever she says that she's an author, they'd always say, oh, I'd love to be an author. I'd love to write a book. Mm. And her advice was always, well, just do it. And so I came away from that and I just thought, you know what? Let's just let's just see what happens. So I wrote out three different summaries, sent them off to the agent that I talked to because she mm. gave me her email address and just said, "If you ever need any advice, let me know." And um, we spoke about it. One idea just seemed a bit stronger, mm. so I started writing it. Um, and then sixteen thousand words in, I think she said that she'd like to represent me, which was amazing. And I just kept pushing through. And that's the amazing thing. At that time, we didn't have the responsibilities and anything like that. Mm. So I was able to just get on with it and pour a lot of love in. And and there is something really wonderful about writing a first book because you don't have any expectation on yourself, Mm. any expectation on anyone else. All you're doing is storytelling, which is what every book should be. But it does, it, it, that leaves you, I think. It's like an album, you know, you always, you know what the fans want, what the readers want, what yeah. the listeners want. Um, so it does change. So I think first books are very, very different. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were many rejection letters, uh, but thankfully uh, Penguin gave me my first two book deal um, and I've been with them ever since, which is incredible. That's amazing. And actually, I mean, from the outside looking in, I can totally see that you don't have to have gone to Oxbridge to think you can write but actually you're right about that thing of people saying oh I wish I could do that and sort of feeling like it's somewhere somewhere else and not everybody does take that leap on of faith on themselves or or um I feel like they've got the right time actually um yeah it's quite it, it does feel like quite a big undertaking to write a book well I um, think you can think that other people have the right skill set and that you don't yeah. have the right tools but actually as soon as I realized that especially the books that I love to read a lot of it is first person. Mm. A lot of it is a character telling a story. Mm. And if you can put yourself in someone's shoes and watch them walk and be them as they walk around. Like I do a lot of acting out when I write, you know, how are people touching things? How are they feeling things, you know? Um, so I, I think I probably write books in a way that works for me. Doesn't mean it works for everyone else. But then that's that's being creative as well, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, I think whenever... When things are creative and we're taught to paint by numbers, I think actually that sucks the joy out of everything. Yeah. And that's not why you're not a creative person to, you know, paint by numbers. No, and I think, um, I know that, I mean, my mum, she didn't start writing until much, much later in life. So she signed a book deal when she was 60, which I thought was really cool because it was just really unexpected. Well, it made a lot of sense, but it was a nice new twist in you know what was going on with her and she's a very natural writer but she said that the beginning she had this feeling of like what how does an author act what does a writer do how do they go about (laughs) their day and then she realized oh no it can just be me and I can factor in the things that I like to do and just make time for the writing and the way I want to do it I think that's quite important to make that distinction really in your own head 
It's, yeah. it's your thing. No one's watching the, you when you're writing. You can just do it yourself. Yeah, and I think the more people that you that you meet that who are writers and that write books, you you find out that everyone has their own way of doing it. Mm. Some people have kids and they just bosh it out in that that first term back at school. That's the first edit. They'll bosh that out, uh, and then spend some time like finessing it afterwards. Mm. Other people are even quicker than that. And you know, I've yeah. got one friend who will write ten thousand words a day on a first draft just to work out what her structure is and and whether that goes into a first draft or whether that gets chucked away um you know i think it varies every time um i would say i'm quite a slow writer um i'm a slow writer but i've got a um a target every day of well 2000 words so it's slow but i guess i i keep going until i get that target done yeah um but yeah uh yeah, and I think once you realise that everyone's got their own way of doing things, it's really freeing. Yeah. And how does your confidence grow when you've done more than one book? What Second book is a nightmare. Oh. Second book is horrible. <laughs> because you have that expectation, you know, and, and anything, like writing anything that's a little bit saucy, I'd kind of go, my dad's going to read this. Because my dad's one of, like, you know, one of my biggest fans. <laughs> so I was just a bit like, oh, I can't. Because if he reads it, even though it's the character saying it, he knows that I wrote it and therefore it's in my head. And oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but once you get rid of that. And also there's that thing of, um, I always felt like with the second book, my publishers would realise that it was a total fluke, first book. Um, you know, and I spent my advance on bookshelves, being the nerd that I am. It was behind me in like this nice wooden bookshelves carrying books. And I thought, oh my God, if they asked me for my advance back, I won't be able to give it to them back because they're bookshelves now. Um, so I think I panicked a lot when it came to second book. And loads of friends I know were exactly the same. Like me and Dorno Porter actually were writing second books around the same time. And we kept messaging each other about getting on a plane to Mexico and just just <laughs> leaving, you know. <laughs> um, so it's good to know that it's not that you're not on your own. And I always said that by the time I got to the third book, I would say that I was an actual author. Um, but now I am definitely I'm yeah. definitely an author. And did the acting bug ever come back into your life? Is that still I've done there? bits. I've done little bits. I did a Christmas carol at, um, at, uh, in London, which was absolutely incre- incredible. And then Tom put the Christmasaurus um, on stage at the Apollo, which was amazing. So we did a run a few Christmases ago before Max was born. Um, and I, I absolutely would love I to do it. I remember that being on. I didn't realise you were acting in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tom was in it, I was in it, Tom's oh, sister lovely. Carrie was in it, Harry was in it, Matt Willis was in it. Just great fun. So um, it became, it, it was that mixture of kind of us being us, but also then becoming the characters and telling the story, mm. um, which was great. And uh, so, yeah, so that was great fun. And I, and I do think it is something that I would... I will go back to at some point. And the mm. great thing about acting is that there are always lots of different characters of lots of different ages. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I am using my creativity in a different way right now. But there's nothing like it. You know, like when I take the podcast on tour mm-hmm. and there's an audience, there's nothing like speaking and getting a reaction. Yeah, I just well, the think podcast great. Is, is huge. I mean, is that something, how did you get started into all that? What prompted you starting your podcast? So I was... Um, so I was writing fiction and then um, when I was going on tour with that, people started asking me whether I'd ever think about writing non-fiction and write about being a mum. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was sharing honestly online and I had a blog on Hello for a while that was all about pregnancy and and then um, becoming a mum. And yeah, I was sharing honestly, which I felt wasn't there so much in that space. I felt like everything was just amazing in motherhood. I don't feel that, didn't feel like... 
what I was experiencing was being reflected. You know, I felt like everything was like crisp white sheets and big smiles. And and I was there with, you know, dribbly boobs and, you know, just not the same picture as everyone else. Um, so I started talking honestly about it. And, I, and, and my first thing when people started asking whether I'd ever write nonfiction was a bit like, I don't know how I'd add to the narrative. Mm. I don't know how I'd add to what is already there because you've got so many books that give you advice that's conflicting, um, you know, that you feel terrible if you don't follow. Like, I bought Gina Ford. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Me too. Well, I was given it, actually. What a great present. Oh, <laughs> Stress in manuscript form. Thanks for that. Exactly. So I read that and was just like, this is just too stressful. Like, because yes. you're not, it takes away any actual listening to your baby, anything like that. Yeah, it's mis- um, maybe miserable. It just makes you, yeah, it makes you feel like such a failure. Yeah. So I just thought, look, if I'm going to write a book about being a mum, what is it? And I just thought, writing a book about my experiences from an honest point of view without trying to edit anything out or making myself look like a good mum, just being completely honest, warts and all. I thought that was the kind of book that I would love to write. Um, So after that, I took that on tour and it was incredible, the conversations that we had. And and I just, I didn't want it to end there. I think Mm. so often with books, they can have their time and then everyone moves on. Mm. And I felt like it was a bigger conversation than that. And I I wanted that conversation to keep going um, for new mums and mums that just need that extra bit of support. Mm. So I thought to myself, I'd love to do a podcast. And by that point, I was really into um, Emma Gannon's podcast and um, The Guilty Feminist. Like so, so many great podcasts I was listening to. Uh, and I just thought that would be a great place to, to have those conversations. Um, but not about me. Let's invite other people on. Mm. So the first series I sent out... Actually, the first series I did just a pilot with Em, Emma Willis. And she was really reluctant to say yes. Uh, Why do you and, think that was? Because she was concerned about people hearing I th- how she I, felt about things. I, I think she's, all, she's quite... She's private about her family life anyway. But also, she left me a voicemail and she was... And she just... No, no, no. She just ignored me, which is very <laughs> Em. Uh, and then we were out for her birthday... And I mentioned it and she was like, the thing is, I know I struggle sometimes, but, you know, you know, it was kind of, I know I struggle and I, you know, I might have moments where it's all a bit too much and I cry, but, you know, I I also have a great husband, a great house, a great support network, um, you know, so why I can't, I, I can't moan about it. And I was like, no, no, no. But that's the reason why. It's not about moaning. It's about it's about saying it doesn't matter who you are, what you have. Yeah. We all experience so many of the same things. And our feelings of being failures in motherhood is so universal. It's something yeah. that everyone feels at times. And the more we speak about it, the more we're able to break down that whole thing and, yeah. and make... Um, and, and support mums and, and completely change it. And, and a few years in, actually, uh, about a year in, um, I heard the statistic that the leading cause of death in new mums is suicide. And I, that is just another push of why we keep going, yeah. another push why we keep doing the virtual event. Motherhood throws up so many different emotions and feelings. And the more that we talk about it, yeah. the better. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, before having Buzz, I thought I was the most maternal person ever. And then he came into our lives. And that first three weeks, I just thought, I've not got a maternal bone in my body. I was trying to do Gina Ford. I was trying to listen to every bit of advice that I'd ever got been given. And, um, you know, I honestly had that thought of, can I send him back? I've made a mistake. Mm. You know, and, and actually, it's awful now looking back. But knowing that other people feel the same thing, 
Well, you're like, well, that's fine because it's an overwhelming time. I yeah. didn't, you know, he was safe. Nothing happened. I was, you know, I was fine. But I think if there was, if that was a mum who then that was continuous yeah. and that stuck around, I just think if conversations with other other parents can help mums and be that support, whether they're feeling like that, whether they're feeling low, or whether they just need a bit of support and and words from other people going through similar situations, um, I think it's really important. Absolutely. Um, I also think there's still a lot of judgment um, about how people, it's assumed that other people do live. And like you say, it's about showing that actually a lot of what people deal with day to day is very similar. There's yeah. lots of universal truths about what can happen when you become a parent and... So you said that it was the first three weeks that you felt this sort of sense of not not feeling like you were maternal. What happened after the three weeks that made you, things start to get better, do you think? I think, for us, feeding was a massive thing. Mm. Um, although I would say that about three months in, that suddenly clicked into place. Um, but he wasn't sleeping very well. Um, feeding would take an hour and a half and you, you know it's you feed three hours after the start of a feed so if it ta- if it takes yeah. him an hour and a half to feed and wind and change him then you've got an hour and a half sleep before you're up and doing it all again mm-hmm. um, and I think it was that lack of sleep that feeling of being over- overwhelmed by this huge task feeling like I should know what my baby needed mm. and not knowing you know yeah, um, yeah I think it was just Everything. I think sleep has a huge part to play in it. Yes. Um, you Not know, surprising, but, really, is it? It makes you, it sends you do lally if you haven't had enough sleep. Completely. It's, absolutely. It's like torture. It's literally but, used as torture, in fact. But you get through it. And I mm. think actually now, when they're sort of toddlers and stuff, and then there's a sleepless night, you just kind of go, whoa, yeah. how did I even do that when they were newborns? Because one night off kilter can, like, can change so much about how you function the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. No, and I think those conversations around motherhood, is, it is good that they're shifting because mm. it's funny you mentioned the Gina Ford thing because I feel like books in a way have taken a little bit of longer to catch up with the conversation yeah. that new parents have been having actually because when I had my first, so yeah, nearly nearly 17 years ago, all the books were quite, um, they were quite sort of medical and quite uh, very pragmatic and not a lot of um, room for things that fell outside of the typical, I felt. So, you know, if things weren't going the way to the letter of how it was, things were planned, I felt like I'd sort of fallen out of that margin and there wasn't really a lot picking me back up and going, don't worry if that's happened to you um, or if your baby's doing this. And I think having that scope for the personality of the parent, the personality of the baby, things not going as they meant to, but good intentions all round, you know, just, just scooping you up a little bit so you just feel like it's okay something's got my back here. Yeah. Um, it's really isolating. I felt that's what, that was sort of the main emotion I felt with my first. Um, and Do I you think feel like you, things have changed as you've gone through? Oh, massively. Or your experience? Massive, yeah. I, I think if I'd seen a mum like me when I had my first, like prancing around doing discos at home with like the five kids, I'd have thought I will never, ever get to that point. Never. Because... <laughs> I couldn't eat, I couldn't function barely at all with the first one and I felt yeah. very cut off and yeah I felt like I didn't really see very many people it was sort of my mum on hotline and none of my friends had kids at that point so yeah I mean it must be the same for you do you think with having three now a very different picture to having just one isn't it yeah completely different <laughs> but it's that weird thing where 
it's really chaotic. It's very, very loud. But at the same time, I've got, I've got a few friends who have um, given birth for the first time in the last year. And it does, you know, the voice notes and things that you get and the, che- you know, I always check in and see how they are. Yeah. But when you hear one of your friends who have become mums for the first time crying... It just takes you back. Yes. Because, you know, I think the chaos and everything that happens now is at a different level to a newborn. Mm. When everything is so raw and so messy and you want everything to be perfect and you think everything should be perfect. And it's that it's that beginning journey, I think, of, of realising that you're never going to be the perfect mum, no. ever. But you're going to be the right mum for your kids and what your kids need. Um, so to get rid of all the other noise that's going on around it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there is something, it's something, yeah, I think hearing other new mums talking about it, it does just take you back and it makes you go, oh yeah, we've come we've come a long way, kids, as yeah, Take That Say. definitely. And that sort of um, fearlessness that you talked about with, with doing um, I'm a Celebrity and the fact that you were talking about, you know, returning to acting and the writing and all the things, do you feel like you sort of, that, that motherhood has kind of helped that that pro- progression to just feeling like, actually, I'll do what things, if I feel like I want to do them? I think so. Um, I mean, I guess the last year has been a bit difficult because yeah. we've had to juggle everything. But certainly before that, I think the year that I had Buddy was my busiest work year ever you know um and there's definitely that sense of wanting to um take opportunities as they come and make the most of it and um and and like we were saying whenever you're not with them making sure that you're being as productive as possible and that the work that you're doing is good and um and making it count so um yeah I think it has changed the way I look at things work-wise um yeah, and also, I kind of, like, things like I'm a celeb, I, I want, that for me is a little bit of me. As, you know, and I think, yeah. you know, you, you when you become a mum, that's so all-encompassing and yourself gets chucked away a little bit. And I feel like now that, you know, we're, we're slowly coming to that stage now where, um, you know, most of the stair gates are gone. <laughs> Nappies are on their way out. Dummies have gone. Cots have gone. And we're coming out the other side and I find myself going, who am I? What do I like? Where, you know, where do I fit in a way? Um, and for me, I'm a celeb, definitely was that. Um, you know, I think the last few years, my body has just aches. My joints and everything are completely shot. And, um, and for me it was a chance to kind of just sit and just and just be me not having to dart around and be everything to everyone every second of the day yeah did it feel weird doing that in the middle of the pandemic thing as well like that's quite a strange juxtaposition isn't it yeah i know <laughs> um yeah it was really really strange but and also though i did say to myself if i was ever going to do it doing it after, in a year that we've been together for months and months and months, solidly, that was probably the best year. It was not a year to feel guilty about leaving at all. They've had maximum mum time in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, that definitely didn't make me... And you weren't in Australia. You would exactly. have had to go for much longer, actually. So that's yeah. good as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably would have had a nice holiday off the back of it, but... Is that what you do then? Do you take them all with you? Are they there uh, the whole I think time? They fly out once you're in. So you go oh. out on your own, they fly out once you're in, and they get to stay in a nice hotel. Hmm. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, you're right. I think my kids would probably say <laughs> thumbs up to that. Actually, they want me to do it. I mean, do you, is it something that you surprised yourself in doing, or did you, did you always quite like the program? And I've always loved the show. It's a good always program, loved isn't it? it? It's so good. <laughs> I'd say that and Bake Off are my two favourite shows. When they're on. I watch them. Yeah. Like I drop everything and watch them. Um, so I've always absolutely loved it. I love just the fact that it's... Obviously, they have a few years where there are dramas, but on the whole, it's drama-free. Mm-hmm. It's all about the tasks. It's all about them just living in, in this strange environment. Um, so I think I, I knew what I was letting myself in for to an extent. I didn't mm. know what Wales was going to be like. Um, and I, honestly, I would just say to anyone who's asked to do it, do it it was the best experience ever and that's what something that all 12 of us would say yeah i've heard um, nothing that from everybody that's that's done it yeah and that is yeah i mean it's one of those shows that everyone will come away from and just say it was an amazing experience and i think it highlights how accessible we are in everyday life and i think before going in you kind of worry about what well, i'm going to be filmed all the time and that's really intrusive but it makes you realize how life is actually quite intrusive <laughs> you know we can't go anywhere without watches or phones bleeping at us yeah, or emails true. going off and then an hour later someone asking why you've not emailed back or kids yeah. wanting something some you're always going at 50 miles yeah. like 100 miles an hour 50 miles an hour it is fast but it's not fast enough. 100 miles an hour <laughs> 16 <laughs> <And> miles an hour <laughs> Walking pace, walking pace. You're always going at a walking pace, getting everything done. Um, so, yeah, I think it is, it's a lesson, actually, in what you think is going to be really intrusive. It makes you realise that life actually demands so much of you and yeah. there's something so beautiful. For, and for us, you know, they, they decide to... You start giving each other jobs. So you're only allowed to do one thing. So... At first, I was literally running around doing everything. Everyone was really. Everyone wanted to do a little bit of everything. Um, I felt like a scullery maid at times, just kind of shuffling through uh, the castle and stuff. But um, And then once you're given a job, so me and Mo were put on cooking, and that's all we could do. We could only cook. So you have to chill out a bit. You have to be present. And I found the biggest lesson for me is that I can so often feel like I am part of the experience of say being at home mm. but realizing that I'm actually on the periphery yeah so I can be washing up and listening to the kids and Tom having a wonderful time mm. and I feel like I'm enjoying it because I'm hearing their laughter and whatever else but I'm not in it mm. I'm enjoying it from afar and actually it made me realize that I need to start being in it a lot more and did it, how was it for Tom with you having such a significant experience that didn't directly involve him did that feel at all peculiar or yeah I guess so I think the one thing that the families really missed out on this time is that they weren't all connected in the same way that they would have been in Australia because when they're in Australia they're all in the same hotel they all get on the bus every morning and go down to see who's going to be you know leaving and stuff whereas this time you know we should have all asked for production put them in a whatsapp group or something just so that they all felt supported we should have Mm. done that um so, yeah, I think it was strange. But, I mean, he took over um, all of my social media stuff. And so I feel like he was really involved. And um, our first chat, 
I was I got in the car and I was I had my phone and I got in the car to go to the hotel and our first chat consisted of about ten minutes just laughing down the phone at the whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah, and I kind of asked everything. I can't wait for restrictions and later on in the year when we can all the all the campmates can get back together get back together and our families can get together. Yeah. Um because we've all gone through something and it must be strange knowing that your partner's gone through an experience that partner that you know and I've experienced most of your life with, yeah. has gone through something so significant and you're not um, involved in some way. But then we also have Zooms. So we have yeah. Zooms all together and, you know, Tom will always pop in and chat with everyone. And and as far as the campmates feel, we all feel like we know all the partners or all the families, all the kids yeah. and everything. Um, so, yeah, so I think we've come out and they're, they've all been... Um, yeah, they're all part of our club now. I've just realised that's your jacket, isn't it, hanging up in the background? Yeah. In the <laughs> <laughs> wasn't technically meant to take that. Uh, really? But... You're supposed to give it back? Yeah, you're meant to give everything back other than your hat oh. and your boots. Well, who else is going to wear that? Put your name on it. That's fine. I say and that's also, fine. it's so vile. It's so dirty. <laughs> it's terrible. I did think about washing it because it does smell of smoke um, from the campfire. And there's something, something quite nice about keeping it as it Aww. is. That's sweet and and quite strange too. <laughs> um, I did a couple more things to ask you and then I will let you go on your merry way. But I did wonder, because you have a flip of me that obviously you and Tom have been together for a really long time before you come become parents, as Richard and I hadn't been together very long at all. And I did wonder, mm. when you've known each other that ho- whole time, is it quite strange to see see each other become parents together in that way? Yeah, because you don't, yeah, because you're going through an experience yeah, because you feel like you know each other completely. Yeah. And then parenthood comes along and you're tired on a different level and, um, yeah, situations arise that you have never dealt with before and you have to deal with them as a couple. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're far more frazzled now that we're parents. Mm. And I, and in a, in terms of our relationship, we, we we definitely have to make more of an effort, especially at this stage where I feel like it's so intense. Mm. You know, once they are starting to become a little bit more independent, well, even just going back to school, all of them being at school, I think I think yeah. that would change things massively. Um, so, um, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like our relationship is definitely in two halves, mm. pre-kids and with kids. And what um, about with, um, with the band? Is that... Because obviously... McFly must have had their massive success pre-kids as well when they, I mean, when yeah. they got started... Do you think that would that was easier to deal with that already being quite an established beast by the time the kids came along? I think so. I think so because we'd done so many tours and stuff, and yeah. and even as a partner, you know, I can remember the first tour that they went on, wanting to go to the whole thing, and Tom sort of saying, "Well, what one night would you like to come to?" And you're like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I can't come." Um, and then you know, as years go on, you go on a tour and you realise, oh, it's actually a little bit boring. It's not my gig, uh, mm. and I'm just following someone around. So your whole perception on how things work change. And actually, Buzz was born four weeks before the first McBusted tour. Um, so what was lovely is that we could go on tour with Tom as much as possible. And we did it so that we stayed in one spot in Manchester uh, for a couple of weeks. And so Tom would do gigs and then go back to Ma- Manchester and be with us and kind of crisscross around the country a little so this bit. Is, sorry, this is when you had a you just had a newborn when that was all happening. Yeah, ah. yeah. Um, which was which was nice in a way because being in a hotel with a newborn, that you know, especially trying to breastfeed and stuff, it kind of 
it got rid of trying to be a super mum and be prepared yeah. for everyone to pop in at any moment. And, you know, it was just lots of time with your boobs out, basically, on a hotel bed, <laughs> trying to get it right. Um, that happens you know. in a lot of hotel rooms, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess that was that was great. And, and it's so lovely now. So obviously, so the band had McBusted for a couple of years mm. and then they've had McFly. So now the older two have both been to a McFly gig. And it's so gorgeous, because obviously they did have a hiatus where nothing was going on, uh, but it's so gorgeous seeing our kids look at Tom on stage and seeing the other side of him, because they all, you know, they play their guitars and their drums and stuff, and they all, um, you know, have a little jam all together, and it's absolutely adorable. Um, But, yeah, it is pretty incredible watching their faces. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, and for Tom as well, I know that, with Richard, he said that when, you know, he was growing up, he always had this idea that one day if he had a kid, they'd be, you know, having them, if he managed to make it as a musician, having them see that happen. Yeah. Be able to have them side a stage. Yeah. is really special. Um, so I, I think that's probably really lovely for Tom too, just looking at and seeing their faces and... Yeah. And like, I, 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 I mean, they already think that he's absolutely amazing. Like, Tom is such... He's, he's, he has surpassed my expectations of what he would be like. And actually, I would say the first year of having Buzz, um, cause, because of McBusted, he was away a lot. Mm. And actually, well, the first two years then, because when Buddy came along, he was home much more. Mm. So I think that's how things have evolved in us doing a lot of it 50-50. And there's some stuff that Tom is just so much better at than me. And the flip side is I'm better at other things. Mm. Like Tom was... Tom, when... Um, when Buddy was first born, so when he was a newborn, Tom would happily take the two of them out together and not not bat an eyelid if one of them was crying or whatever. Whereas for me, it took me six months to work up the courage to take both of them out at the same time. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if part of that is also because I was breastfeeding and I felt like if one of them went off, like if the toddler was running off and I was bre- like, what, what do you do? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it took me a long time to kind of work up that courage, whereas he's, he's always been a little bit more relaxed about stuff you know what rich is the same i wonder as well if when you've had a baby it's almost like you just feel like that that bit more vulnerable like your skin's a bit thinner you know so if something does go a bit wrong i just felt like i might i'd probably just burst into tears yeah and i was always getting mum sweats sorry i was always getting mum (laughs) sweats well it's also really hard just the pressure of checking them all the time and then when there's two you just think i don't know if what if that one runs off there and i've got to yeah feed that one it just feels like insurmountable pressure yeah to get it right yeah um and some of that doesn't really i don't think that changes if you have end up having more i think that's just it just it just it just gets harder actually some of that stuff <laughs> i remember when i had um i had my second one i thought oh it's going to be fine i've already got one it's just more of the same and it's it's not actually it's <laughs> sort of double double the so work what about sometimes. five though that's just silly, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> On reflection. <laughs> Especially when that lockdown started, I just thought... Because, you know, I felt quite capable in terms of having another baby and I loved just, the, you know, having another, a small one and a big... Yeah. I felt quite clever at first, but then when everything was, you know, rug was pulled completely, I just thought, oh, I've been such a mug. Like, how do I do this? How do I, you know, reassure them and keep the house tip-top and keep them all happy and healthy and... Not have us, you know, shouting at each other all the time. Yeah. We kind of muddle through, though. You sort of find find your rhythm. But, yeah, that yeah. first lockdown is... When I look back at pictures or anything, you know, pops up in, like, a memory thing, I'm just like, that was a weird, <laughs> a weird time. Definitely. When you had a lot of kids at home school. 
Yes. Well, for a little while, it felt like we were just running a very small private school that wasn't very successful, you know, <laughs> not results-driven, I wouldn't have said. <laughs> the teacher's open to bribery. Snack-driven. Um, yeah, yeah, teachers that didn't really want to be teachers. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably what wasn't very successful. But, yeah, we've made it through. And they're all back at school, so, yay. In fact, <laughs> you, I don't know if you can see on, on your computer, but I'm caked in makeup. Because I, I did, saw on Instagram. You yeah, had I did a photo, photo shoot, shoot earlier. <laughs> and uh, there's like... Honestly, there's nothing more ridiculous than having something nice, like some, you know, having your hair and makeup done, then like nowhere to go except for a virtual parents' evening. <laughs> so I spoke to like ten teachers just before we were speaking, and with everyone, I had to start off by sort of apologising for having this yellow and blue really? eyeshadow on. Yeah, but it just it's just a little bit garish for parents' evening, but it's like I want to go out. This is not what I envisaged. Yeah. Um, but talking of the the visual side of things, your wallpaper is gorgeous. I oh, do really you love your much. wallpaper. Thank you. I love a bit of floral. It's really beautiful. <laughs> also, so this is my office. So I got, I, I've got everything. I've got you a have an door. office. I'm so jealous. Yeah, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Ah. I mean, it always gets invaded with toys and stuff. Did it help I've, during the last year, though, from working from home, that you had a space that was yours? No, because we couldn't really go into our spaces because we had hmm. three little humans to referee. I don't know whether it, like, I feel like I spend a lot of my time refereeing. Mm. And, um, you know, I think those little wins, our little wins is one child going to the other, you can have this toy. You oh, know, yeah. just, you know, that feels An like such kindness. a win. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever have any silly comments for having all boys? Like, I've had tons of them. I don't know if you... Oh, yeah. All the time. Did you, did people assume you were going again for a girl? Yes. And I always said, yeah. I've said since the second baby, the best thing about having a girl would be that people would stop asking me if that's what I'm trying to have. Um, <laughs> but actually, when I had my fourth during pregnancy, I started keeping notes of the stupid comments because they were so frequent. Like people I didn't know coming up to me and being like, oh, you should have had a hot bath after sex because that would have killed off the X or Y chromosome or whatever it is. You know, oh, I'm like, wow. I don't even know who you are, random man. Um, yeah, I had lots of strange comments. Even my own doctor, my GP. <laughs> When I went to see her and I said, oh, um, I think I'm about seven weeks pregnant. And she said, okay, let's fill out, you know, the form for the hospital. She said, oh, that's funny. It's asking me for, for the sex of the baby. And I said, oh, you should probably just write boy. It probably will be. And she went, oh, well, you'll have to get a bitch dog. I said, I'm sorry. She went, oh, well, you have to get a bitch dog if you have another boy. I was like, what a weird comment. <laughs> weird comment, doctor. Um, anyway, yeah. It is a weird thing. And I think... Yeah, I think there is always that assumption. Oh, you're going for again, going again. You're going for a girl. Oh, you yeah. must be so disappointed that you've not, you've got another boy. Um, but every child, they're so different, mm. um, and so I just different. felt overwhelmingly lucky and grateful to have three kids who are here and they are, you know, brilliant and um, yeah. I, I feel overwhelming, overwhelmingly lucky um, to be in a situation. That I am, and and I, I, you know, we always say that we're done. We're done at three, but if we were ever to go again, it would be for another child, yeah, not a girl, yeah. That's what I, I say and as also, well. it's that thing, isn't it? Once you have a certain amount of one sex, it's it's highly unlikely that you're going to have the other. I don't know if that's true though, because how does like how does how do they know what's yeah what's going on like that? It's like I think it's like statistics, math statistics. I think yeah, but maybe. if I if I flipped a coin and I flipped a head. Um, like five times in a row, you wouldn't say, I think you're unable to flip tails. Which is very true. <laughs> it's just probability, isn't it? Like, just, it's just 50 50 each time. 
Yeah. I would imagine. Um, and I am a scientist, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually an expert, so oh, okay. Yeah, you've asked me and I've told you, so that's fine. Uh, uh, well, I think I should let you go with your nice wallpaper in your quiet office. Um, how, how has it been being interviewed for, for another parenting podcast? It's been lovely, <laughs> really, really lovely. It's been strange being the one asked the questions. You snuck in a few questions, you questions yourself, but <laughs> I kept you on a fairly tight leash. It's okay. <laughs> Ah, see, she's very lovely. You probably knew that already. But it was nice to speak to her, and her wallpaper really was that nice. It was kind of all um, roses, and I think I'm a little bit obsessed with looking at people's interiors. I mean, look, we've all been doing it, haven't we, when we Zoom, watch people on Zoom on the telly and that kind of thing. I think, oh, look at the background. But I think at the moment, because I'm doing bits in the house, so I'm a bit fascinated by people's decor, and I'm stealing what I can. Um, Yeah, I think uh, Giovanna... Giovanna Tarawa Savannah speaks really well about um, the importance of being open about um, everybody's route into motherhood and whatever that means to them. Um, but also, you know, that thing I come back to a lot, a lot, a lot about the, the real importance of having something that's your own. And obviously, you do not need to be a parent for that to resonate. Um, it's very easy to get a bit lost in the wash. And it's also incredibly easy as an adult to find you stop doing things that challenge you or shake things up a little bit. And there's one thing I'm very grateful to my job for, that it has, you know, thrown things my way that are completely unexpected. And obviously for Giovanna, it was going and doing I'm a Celebrity, which everybody seems to come out of raving about, don't they? It's kind of tempting. My kids would like me to do it, but I'm not sure. I think, I, you know, I think there's bits of it I quite enjoy. I think I could probably do it. All right, with, I'm not too bad with rats and snakes. Anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's funny because I started off singing and then through my singing, I've ended up doing things like eating crisps in zero gravity and uh, delivering beer on a cherry picker and um, dancing a Paso Doble. So, you know, <laughs> I'm fortunate to do things that scare me and I can see that to Giovanna, it meant a lot that she could just be herself and be her own person and not always be someone's wife someone's mother you know they're, they're important things but you need something that's your own too anyway the margarita is made the dj decks are ready it's saturday night i'm talking to you with ridiculously high platform heels on i can only wear block heels now i don't think i will go back to stilettos that's my uh lockdown take <laughs> What is the point of the spindly ones? They just hurt. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Um, this series has got another three left. And then I'll be recording the fourth series. So please do start leaving me some tips of who you'd like me to speak to. I always find that really helpful. And I have approached a lot of the women that you do suggest. And I won't trail who's coming next week because I've put my foot on it, foot in it more than once with saying the person and then changing it. But... I will tell you it won't disappoint you because I've got some really wicked ones coming coming your way. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling now, even though it comes so naturally to me. Thanks for joining me again. See you soon. Lots of love. Have a good week and speak to you soon.